0: This is The Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, October 17th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week in nature mental health is titled, Heterogeneous Neuroimaging Findings Across Substance Use Disorders Localized to a Common Brain Network. This study used network mapping approaches and a functional connectome from a large cohort of healthy participants to test whether neuroimaging abnormalities across substance use disorders map to a common brain network. Researchers found that 91% of the neuroimaging findings did map to a common brain network specific to substance use disorders when compared to atrophy associated with normal aging and neurodegenerative disease. Next, we have an article in JAMA Psychiatry titled Individual Level Risk Prediction of Return to Use During Opioid Use Disorder Treatment. Individual Level Risk Prediction is a useful tool in the management of severe chronic conditions, but such a tool does not exist for the treatment of opioid use disorder. The purpose of this study was to formulate a prediction tool for return to use by week 12 using data from three large clinical trials. One score, the OUD Return to Use Risk Score, afforded quality clinical risk stratification as patients with weekly UDS results negative for opioids in the three weeks after treatment initiation had a 13% risk of return to use, while those with UDS results that were positive had an 85% risk of return to use. Our next article, titled Anti-Craving Medications for Alcohol Use Disorder Treatment in the Emergency Department, is in Academic Emergency Medicine. In this article, the authors seek to evaluate the evidence for initiation of pharmacological treatments, specifically naltrexone, and emergency departments for persons with alcohol use disorder. Conducting a systematic review, they identified six articles for inclusion, as well as three clinical trials and three case reports. Two clinical trials included naltrexone and one disulfiram as interventions, and only one provided some evidence of positive impact on alcohol consumption after naltrexone initiation. Overall, the authors found there is a paucity of data and suggest research is needed. Our next article in Drug and Alcohol Dependence is titled Prevalence of Fentanyl in Methamphetamine and Cocaine Samples Collected by Community-Based Drug Checking Services. In this study, samples of stimulants came from 25 states, mostly in 2022 and 2023. Overall, 13.5% of stimulant samples contained fentanyl, 8.9% of methamphetamine samples, and 21.5% of cocaine samples. Xylazine was present in 5% of stimulant samples, and the presence of xylazine reduced donors' ability to identify fentanyl from 92% to 42%. The authors conclude that crystalline forms of the stimulants were significantly less likely to contain fentanyl than powder forms. Next, we have an article in JAMA titled, Synthetic Cooling Agent and Other Flavor Additives in Non-Menthol Cigarettes, Marketed in California and Massachusetts After Menthol Cigarette Bans. This study suggests that some tobacco products marketed in California and Massachusetts after a ban on menthol cigarettes contained a synthetic cooling agent, WS3. Presence of WS3 in non-menthol cigarettes raises concerns because WS3 has documented organ toxicity in rodent studies. Regulators should consider including synthetic coolants and flavor bands because they can mimic menthol's actions, making tobacco products more appealing and less irritating. A new study, titled Optimizing a Drone Network to Respond to Opioid Overdoses, is in Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. The authors found that using a configuration of four drone bases, response time in EMS records from a North Carolina county were reduced by 4 minutes and 38 seconds. The authors estimate that if drones were located at EMS or fire stations throughout the county, average response time would be approximately 3 minutes. The study's model estimates that drones could deliver naloxone to an opioid overdose in a fraction of the EMS response time, which averaged at 11 minutes. Next, we have a study in Journal of Addiction Medicine titled Opioid Settlements, the Role for Addiction Medicine and Guiding Effective Spending. As opioid settlement funds are dispersed to state and local jurisdictions, the authors of this commentary provide suggestions about how addiction medicine specialists can affect the way monies are utilized and help ensure they have significant impact on the opioid epidemic. Suggestions include direct involvement in advisory committees that make or influence funding decisions or more indirectly, providing expert recommendations to those committees, or participating in policy reviews or evaluations of interventions. Our final article, Outcomes Associated with Non-Medical Cannabis Legalization Policy in Canada, is in Canadian Medical Association Journal. This article considers whether the objectives of recreational cannabis legislation in Canada in 2018 have been met. Such objectives include improvement in cannabis-related public health and safety, less youth access, and a reduction in cannabis-related crime. Five years out, a reduction in cannabis-related enforcement and significantly reduced arrests have been noted. At the same time, there's been an increase in emergency department visits and admissions. Data on cannabis use disorders and its treatment, and the degree to which legalization may have substituted for use of other substances, are lacking. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ASAM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and asam.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.